Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 15, Drayden. Hello and welcome to Trowler and Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey. And I want to take another quick moment here like I did the last episode and share a little bit of an update with everyone who is listening because there's always someone possibly new who hasn't heard it yet. And if you have, do bear with me. I appreciate that. I will want to remind everyone that Trial of the Wizard King, book two in the Wizard King trilogy, is out this month, March. 2020. And again, I will be doing some events and promotional things for it tied into the book. You can check out on my website, chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E.com. And I think it'd be fun. Looking forward to seeing people, interacting with folks, and enjoying it. And like I said, you can also read sample chapters, listen to some sample information about it, see some reviews, and all that kind of good stuff as well. In addition to that, this is kind of unique. We have book three available for pre-order, and it is available in audio and uh, digital and print as well, so several different formats. You can check out by going to my website again, chadcorey.com. There should be a link there. You should be able to find it for Triumph of the Wizard King, the book three, the final book in the Wizard King trilogy. And there again, you'll have some information and links and such where you can find out more information about it. Check it out and uh, see if it's something you want to pre-order or get your hands on as well. So basically now you have the option available to you to get the entire trilogy from book one, which is out now, book two, which will be coming out in you know right now this month, and book three in just a few months in August 31st. So again, I just encourage you to take a, take a look at it, check it out if that's something of an interest to you. Uh, we wanted to do uh, an earlier release for it, so we have uh, basically two books coming out this year rather than just one. So that'd be kind of fun and make everyone aware of it. All right, now that we've done the PSA there and the promotional for the marketing side of things, let's take a transition into the particular topic for this episode, which is Drayden. We've been doing a little introductory information for each of the gods of the Trilodron Pantheon and getting people more in tune and fleshed out and developed as far as who they are and what they're about for the people in general since they'll be showing up in, in the storyline now and people might want some more information. And while you can get some of that on the website, chadcory.com under the Trilodron world page, there's a bunch of different categories there you can check out. This is something that's kind of an, uh, an augmented seg- uh, substitutional information, or I guess, uh, augment's a good word, augmented information to what's already out there. So Drayden, who is he? He is, first and foremost, the leader of the Grey Gods. And we kind of introduced them in particular last episode with uh, Ganatar. We, I, for some reason, totally forgot to mention the, the leadership structure of the gods when I introduced Girthgall, I do apologize for that. Uh, but he has been uh, kind of seen as more the level-headed sort of god in general. Uh, not that people are crazy or, or extreme on one side or the other, but he's he's more the scholarly kind of by-the-book kind of guy and, and more reasonable or reasoned, I guess you can say, or at least he's perceived that way among their number. And as such, it kind of fits that he's the leader of that gray god group. And if you're curious about who they are and who these gray gods are and what they do, 
check out the website again, Chad Corey, and go to the Trilodon page. There's a link for the Pantheon, and then we break down the different philosophies. But needless to say, the Grey Gods fall within the, the two other groups, or three other groups, three groups, excuse me. The Grey Gods fall within the two of the light and the dark, obviously, because Grey's kind of the blending of the two. And that's kind of where he kind of holds the middle ground. But in general, yes, he is the leader of that group. And as far as relationships go with the rest of the Pantheon, he's the brother to Girthgol and Ganatar, Othon, Ceridel, Astrolach, Osora, and Cuthon. And he's also the uncle to Perloza, Teremonos, Cassilla, and Endarium. And he is the father of Sheril and the husband to Ceridel. And that is a unique relationship. Last episode, with talking about Ganatar, we mentioned how the different gods, some of the gods were married, and but they chose not to live with each other. And the only exception to that was Ganatar and Othon, who have actually taken it to the extreme. And if you want to say moved in together, they've actually merged their their realms and their, their area of control and influence into one realm. They've actually blended everything together completely and made a true marriage of their of their everything of themselves where that has not always been the case with the other gods and that's also not the case with Drayden and Cyrodiil who keep their own private realms their own private abodes and they do interact they do if you want to call them dates or whatever they can they get together and they they interact and see each other obviously they they had to know each other at least once because they have at least one kid uh Cheryl so I mean they they do and they, their marriage is is I don't no one's really sat down and tried to figure out their marriage. I mean, it's just they're married, they get together, they, they have a healthy relationship. It's just kind of a different relationship because they are stuck with pursuing their own particular things, which is obviously knowledge and information and, and such for for Drayden. And let's talk about that, too. He's known primarily as the god of knowledge, learning, literacy, and magic. And that is something different. He's probably one of the first gods we'll talk about in this podcast series who doesn't really necessarily connect with any cosmic element. Up until now, we've had two different gods, Girthgall and Ganatar, who have been tied into and are basically controllers of different cosmic elements. And if you don't know what cosmic elements are, go back to the previous episodes in, in season one, and we, we go into depth about what they are and how they work and for, for the very short thumbnail version, they are basically the building blocks of reality. And so you have darkness and chaos being two of those in particular that Grithgal took a hold of and made part of him. And he basically controls now or dominates in various ways. And for Ganatar, it was order and light. And so obviously those two are in kind of some opposition in some ways. But with Drayden, you didn't have anything where it was a cosmic element that he ascribed to himself or took dominance over or just studied in general. He was more or less just interested in more abstract things like knowledge, literacy, learning, and magic. And then magic is unique in that he he didn't necessarily create it, although he's credited with the creation of it. And I guess maybe a way of saying that is he was he could be credited with the refinement and the development of what is known as modern-day magic. But the, if you read the histories and get into it, which I've talked about in the past already with some of the different titans and titan lords, they've already had the ability to tap into the cosmic elements and use them to various extents, what we might be considered magical or supernatural elements.
So he's not really reinventing the wheel here. He's just, like I said, refining and developing aspects of it, which incorporated into the creation of the mortal races as they're known, or mortal kind as they were known on Trollodon. So basically, if you were a human, a dwarf, an elf, what have you, you would consider him the creator of magic or the person who resides over it, even though he's not necessarily the one that necessarily originated it, if that makes sense. Um, again, it's kind of some, some murkiness there because you got to look at it from two different sides of the coin. From one side of the coin, if you live on the planet, you don't know anything else. It's basically you have your version of magic, which is kind of a form of the, the divine form of magic. And that's how we, I'm not going to get into specifics on how that was created. That's probably a podcast for another time. But I just kind of want to put that distinction in there, even though he's credited with that and he has a great influence and he's probably the most skilled of all the the gods uh, in the, the ability to wield magic and, and, and use it and understand it. He didn't necessarily create it, if that makes sense. Let's talk about some of his titles, though, real quick here. He is called the Mage Lord, Master of Thought, High Father of Knowledge, the Great Chronicler, Immortal uh, mortal Sage, Lore Master of the Gods, the Great Scribe, Father of Magic. And he has his symbol is also called the Great Book, and it's an open book with a crystal ball resting on its center. In banners, the background is green, and but in all instances where possible, the crystal ball is seen as a light green and the book a deep brown with vellum-colored pages. Uh, whenever the symbol is worn by priests on a brass pendant is molded onto the book, uh, brown with vellum-colored pages. Again, this varies a little bit based upon who the priests are who serve them, like we talked about last episode. There's different sects as well within his religion. Uh, when it's used for the crystal, what's what's used for the crystal ball on the, the pendant uh, is a glass globe, sometimes usually tinted a, a greenish color in general. And then again, it's usually attached to a green strip of cloth or a cord. Again, that based upon the priest who wears it. And his realm is called Elusia. And again, we're not. He's, he lives there by himself. Well. He's the only god there, I should say. He lives with other uh, titan lords and titans and other things, and of course his followers when they when they die. And those followers are called Dredonites. As far as how he looks, he is big into green for some reason. And so he has a green hooded cloak that he is favor, favors wearing. He also has uh, green robes he wears. Looks very much if you were to you know do a stereotypical look of a, an archetypal mage. Or wizard, that's kind of what he gets into. He has a beard, he has hair, obviously, uh, full beard. He has kind of, I don't want to say medium hair, but kind of in between. It's not super short, but not super long. And that's white as well. And his eyes, of course, are green. And he's rather fair-skinned. He's probably, like, like all the gods of the, the first generation, he is 15 feet tall. And the big thing that kind of sets him apart is his staff. And the staff is a unique creation. No one really knows entirely what it does. And Drayden really isn't about to share it with people. But there's, there's been some speculation that it helps him gain more knowledge by somehow finding different uh, secrets in the universe or cosmos and whispering that to him. Because there always seems to be kind of a subtle cloud of whispers floating around the staff. The people that can hear it, they never really can tell what is being said, but you know something's going on there. It also is used to augment what he does with his spellcasting. He is known to be 
obviously, like I said, a very strong uh, magic uh, using abilities and such. And this staff greatly augments his ability and power, and he can even do some more fantastical things with and then through it, which also sets him apart from the rest of the, the pantheon. And it's even more amazing when you consider that he is known to have created the staff himself. So just how powerful Drayden is, yeah, people don't know. But if you had to speculate, he is definitely the most powerful as it came to arcane or magical ability in the Pantheon. And obviously, if you're strong enough to make a, a staff that is that incredible and can augment your abilities even more, then you are pretty pretty up there in the power level. And he, again, he's kind of seen like the, the sage of the of the Pantheon. He isn't really known to be that aggressive or dominant in general. Again, he kind of takes the role of the scholar for a lot of things, or a sage, and that's kind of what a lot of his followers do as well. You're not going to find a lot of their temples like in, in dominant locations throughout the world. They are basically more or less in civilized areas and in areas where they have access to ready access to knowledge and information and such they can not only preserve and record, but also pass on and share with other people, let alone educate other people with. And you'll find his followers are usually in more of the educated class, those who are, you know, scribes, scholars, sages, those kind of things, but also people that are interested in philosophy or just passing on what they know to other people, tutors, lecturers, things like that. And they're big on promoting, obviously, literacy and learning to various people, which is, again, why they are usually found within the larger cities or civilizations, because that's where you get more the ready access to to fund these campaigns and to reach large numbers of people for the greater benefit of all. Uh, more fam- most famously, of course, there is a group of Dredonites that run the Great Library in Rexatoyus, uh, and they also established it there, a, a great big collection of, of knowledge, supposedly from all over the world in one, in one basic uh, four-walled facility there. But in general, like I said, he is not something that most people are super excited to to make their deity of choice. Again, the people might worship him or give him some lip service here and there, but he's he's not really a super popular deity, obviously, too. He's a great god, and great gods are kind of... Light gods are very big, like I mentioned last episode. They're very big in, in the, the civilized areas because they're what you would think archetypically of as gods of civilization. They kind of have that interest or that promotion in their... Their collective group there that people want to you know be a part of that. The gray gods are kind of like eh, I don't know. You know, if I'm not really into reading or writing or, or magic, it's not really, really my thing. He's not seen as a, a detrimental god or a negative god. He's just kind of he's just kind of there. Obviously, if you're a wizard, if you're a mage, teaching people how to do magic, he might be a, a deity of choice. But then you got some people that just kind of give him lip service again there too, uh, based upon what their belief system is and what paths and things they want to follow in their own pursuits there. So again, he's he's not maybe the most popular or most widely known god in the world of Trilodon, but he is he is understood and maybe respected on some levels. But again, he's not probably someone you'd rush to your first chance if he had some trouble or issues that you needed resolving in particular. And I think that is where we're going to wrap up this particular episode. Again, thank you for taking a listen. I do appreciate that. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or information you want answered more uh, informatively, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, feel free to send me an email at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at Chad Corey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E, 
I'll do my best to see if I can maybe answer those things in an upcoming episode or just see if I can improve and make the the podcast better in general to kind of make sure we add some more things if possible that you might want to hear. Otherwise, thank you for your time and thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey, all rights reserved.